Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, this is Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we are talking tax. Now, before you go running for the hills, don't worry, it's going to be an interesting conversation, I promise. It's all about the warning stories about getting tax wrong at exit. And in order for us to talk about this scintillating Topic, I promise it is. We have Nigel D'Souza from ADX Accountants. Now, Nigel describes himself as someone who has a keen interest in assisting clients with small business CGT concessions tax structuring and advisory matters. And Nigel's standard quote apparently is understand the client's requirements by stepping into their shoes and deliver practical tax solutions without the jargon. Now, tax solutions without the jargon is exactly what we're going to deliver to you here on the podcast today as we dig into some warning stories all about getting tax wrong at exit, and what you need to keep in mind if you're looking at any sort of exit from your business into the future. Well, without further ado, here we go with our discussion with Nigel. Nigel, welcome along to the Deal Room podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on board. Thanks, Joanna. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, It's an interesting topic, so I'm looking forward. Absolutely. Now, um, it's not just a tax accountant that finds this whole concept of tax at exit interesting. Can I promise you? Because when I start talking to my clients, my clients come in, what quite often happens, and and I just want to set the scene here because I, I think this is so pivotal as to why we're actually talking about tax today. Why I do like to talk about tax a bit um, because I would say when our clients come into us to to exit from a business, in many instances, they come to us for the very first time right at the end of the transaction. So that's at the point where the business has been in on the market, a buyer has been found, they've negotiated commercial terms, and then they come to us. And then, you know, one of the first questions I say to them when they come in is, do you understand what your tax impact will be at the end of the day? Do you understand how much cash you'll have in your pocket? And they'll come back with one of two answers. So generally, it's either, yeah, yeah, yes, and I know that means no, um, or (laughs) no, I haven't thought of that. It is so rare that I have anyone who comes in and actually says, yes, I have worked this through thoroughly with my accountant and I understand absolutely what that's going to look like at the end of the day. So the problem is, so so we have the situation where so many businesses just don't understand what the tax element will be at exit. And I say, okay, you know, let's talk about the legal side. We can get all of the legal side ready, but before you exchange contracts and actually before we even draft this contract for you, highly recommend you go sit down with your accountant and work it through. Make sure you fully understand what that tax looks like and what that cash in your pocket will look like 
at the end of the day after the deal is done. And it's just so, you know, it shouldn't still shock me, but it still shocks me how many times they come back and say, gosh, I I just had no idea that because I'm making these choices, this is the impact of those choices along the way. Or because I made this choice about structure four years ago or 20 years ago, this is the impact on the sale today. And so that, Nigel, is a very long introduction, but it's the, (laughs) I guess it's the reason why I want to talk about this. And, you know, having come at it from that perspective, can you maybe, and, and of course we're talking today about the warning stories about getting tax wrong at exit, which suggests that maybe there are some instances where people have got this wrong, which I can testify to. I've seen many of them. But can you just talk about why? Why Why do people get this wrong? Why is it that, you know, how is it that business owners could get to this point at exit and maybe not even fully understand? Yeah, Joanna, look, it's a, it's a, it's a great point you make there that, you know, people tend to think about tax implications uh, either when they're in the process of selling or sometimes even after having sold their business, they will see a tax accountant. Uh, there's some good reasons for that. Uh, among the reasons, one of the big reasons is that, you know, selling a business or selling your shares or your assets, are, you know, it's quite an emotional sort of decision. And, you know, people are caught up, you know, with the actual negotiating process to sell the business. But and sometimes they also get caught up in the due diligence process to sell the business. But tax sometimes gets forgotten. So, you know, from that perspective, um, it is something that we do see uh, not very often, but we sometimes come across, especially with new clients, that we get a new client that, you know, sometimes they haven't had a chance to look at the the tax implications of selling. And uh, in those situations, um, what we can, what we sometimes find is that, you know, there's anomalies that can happen from a tax perspective, um, you know, sometimes they think they're eligible for certain concessions or, uh, you know, CGT concessions, um, and sometimes they 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 might not be eligible. Or in other situations, they, um, you know, they they are eligible and they're not even aware um, that, of the fact that they're eligible. Um, so it's uh, it's an interesting topic, but it's something that is a very it, it's something that needs to be considered and and it does it require quite a bit of planning. And the earlier you have a chance to see an accountant, um, the better it is. Great. Okay. Now, we've got quite a few podcasts where we work through, well, you know, what concessions are available? How do you ensure you're eligible for them? But let's just like, so let's just give it a quick summary though. Um, for, For anyone who isn't aware of some of these, you know, finer points of tax at exit, what are some of the critical things for them to understand about what tax concessions are available? Yeah, so Joanna, look, the the, the most critical things for them to understand is um, what concessions are actually available to them. So the first thing you've got to identify is um, what kind of a sale is, is happening, right? Because we quite often look at a sale as... I'm ready to sell my, I worked in my business for a number of years. Um, If it's a small business, for example, um, you know, I'm getting ready to retire and I'm ready to sell. But sometimes what will happen is that's one reason a sale will happen. But sometimes what might happen is um, you might get approached by an external, you know, somebody, uh, a competitor or something like that, um, that's interested in buying your business because your business um, has certain attributes that 
they find will add value to their business. Um, so it, it, the, the process of selling is something that it's it's something that you need to actually plan for well in advance. And in terms of the actual uh, things you need to look out for, um, I guess you need to have a bit of an idea of how the concessions work um, so that if there's anything you can do um, in advance of a sale, um, you, you at least have a bit of an opportunity to uh, uh, rearrange things to a certain extent. Um, and from that perspective, that could mean the difference between being eligible or just falling outside of the eligibility for this concession. So you talked about eligibility. And what are we talking about here? Eligibility for small business concessions or, or el- parts of those? Because there's, yeah. I, I guess there's a whole host of different potential concessions available. Yeah. So in terms of the eligibility, look, there's there's four different. I'll just talk about the concessions first, and then very quickly because the eligibility sort of flows through based on the concession. So the the four concessions are, are basically um, this um, the fifteen year exemption. Okay, um, then you have the fifty percent reduction. Uh, then you've got the retirement exemption, and and you've got the rollover. So those are the main concessions, right? And in addition to that, you've if you've held uh, you know certain categories of assets um, for more than twelve months, you are also eligible for the fifty percent discount. Now, the fifty percent discount applies over and above these concessions. Um, so, um, the the I guess the objective of the concessions is um, you could potentially uh, have a zero tax outcome, and if you're not eligible for all of them, you, your tax bill might be very significantly reduced. Mm. Now, in terms of um, the eligibility, like there's there's two main, uh, you know, gateway sort of um, areas that make a taxpayer eligible. Um, one of them is the $2 million um, aggregated turnover test. Uh, and the way that works is basically um, if you're in a business, um, if your turnover is less than $2 million on an aggregated basis, um, you, you will meet that particular criteria. The second concession, and this is the one that, uh, you know, is it can be quite tricky, is the net asset value test. And that to, to satisfy that concession, if your net assets, okay, when we say net assets, we mean your assets less your liabilities, are less than $6 million, uh, you will satisfy that concession. So those are the basic conditions. And in addition to the basic conditions, there are some specific conditions that apply to each of the four different uh, concessions that we just spoke about. So just as a point of clarification, do you have to satisfy both of these eligibility requirements? So your business needs to be, you need to have turnover under 2 mil, and you need to have net asset values of under six mil. So, so Joanna, basically, the way it works is that you've got to satisfy one of the, either of the two uh, conditions. So you don't have to satisfy both. It's it's either or. Um, and uh, look, it's, it that that does offer a bit of flexibility uh, because you might have a business, for example, that you know their, their turnover is relatively low. Okay. But their net assets may be a bit higher. So, and and a good example of that uh, is um, due to the recent um, situation with you know COVID. Um, what it has caused is uh, it's caused a decline in turnover in some businesses that are otherwise quite valuable. 
Um, so in that situation, they might be in a position where they will satisfy the $2 million aggregated turnover test, uh, or maybe just under $2 million, um, but they might be over the $6 million net asset test. So, uh, yeah, it's either, either of the two conditions that uh, you need to satisfy. Brilliant. And, and you know, and, and let's talk about this $6 million net asset yep. test because, uh, you know, I understand that there it's not just necessarily related to what you actually own in your name, but it yep. can also include entities that you might have a shareholding in. Maybe can you talk to us a little bit about That's that? That's right. So- so you might recall I used the word aggregated uh, turnover and earlier in the in the discussion, and the reason for that is because there are aggregation rules. So basically, the way the aggregation rules is uh, you've got you've got to consider if there's any affiliates or connected entities uh, in the structure. So when we're talking about affiliates and connected entities, affiliates the affiliate rule is um, is arguably a bit more complicated. Because you you need to kind of work out if the you know the directors are of the company, for example, are acting as directors in another company or sitting on other boards or you know, and, and this is especially important with founders or people who are like in a lot of startup businesses. They might be potentially acting uh, in a in a in a decision making capacity in a number of other businesses. So if that happens, then you actually have to look through to see whether they're influencing the businesses enough that the turnover of the other businesses are actually got to be aggregated. Turnover on net assets, that is, of the other businesses have to be aggregated with the business that is being sold. Um, so the affiliate rules, um, it, it calls for a bit of an in-depth analysis to work out whether you are caught uh, under the rules or not. Um, and there's certain sort of exceptions within the rules. So, for example, with with spouses, um, what, you know, it, a spouse is not automatically an affiliate. Uh, but in some circumstances, uh, you know, the assets of the spouse, if they're being used in in your business, uh, they they might be considered an affiliate for the purpose of the, of these rules. And the other. So that's the affiliate rule. And the other rule to be aware of is the connected entity rule. So the connected entity rule um, is basically based on the percentage of ownership. So if you are generally above 50%, um, you are, uh, you know, the, the, if you own above 50% of a particular entity, whether that's a unit trust or a company, uh, th- that entity gets aggregated. In terms of its turnover and net assets, depending on what you select. Um, on the other hand, um, if you're between forty and fifty, uh, you can apply, uh, you know, to the ATO, and, and in some circumstances, you might be able to prove that you're not connected to the entity. And if you're under forty, generally, what happens is you're considered not to uh, to be connected to that other entity. So there's different, it's slightly different, but it depends on the percentage of ownership. So let's turn this into, okay, well, what are the warnings out of that? What what yeah. do business owners need to be careful of? And why why is it relevant for us to think about whether whether or not another entity or person is considered a connected entity? So what what, what is the importance of that classification of connected entity? Yeah, Joanna. Look, that's a that's a good question uh, because what happens with the percentages is um, 
it can be quite easy for a client that's owning a certain percentage of the business to not realize that you know if they own if they're within a certain range they might not be able to access the concession so i'll give you an example that we had of a particular client so this client and this is not the connected entity test by the way there is another test uh, which is part of one of the concessions that basically requires a taxpayer to own more than 20% of the shares in a business okay in order to qualify for the concession so um and this is a specific this is one of the specific requirements if if it happens to be a share or a unit in the company now in the case of this individual what happened is um they had been selling down their shares for a number of years so initially i'll just give you a, a broad example like they they might have owned 30% of the shares in the company um they needed the money and so they decided look i i've just got to liquidate and keep selling my shareholding down and they got to around 21% of the company okay and at that point in time you know we we didn't know about this because this was a new client for us but at that point in time basically um uh, this client wanted to continue selling their shares because he thought oh you know i'm getting a good price where in the process of negotiating uh, a deal with this new company so how about i i sell maybe 5 or 6% and what would have happened in that situation is basically the shareholding of this individual would have dropped to below the required 20% threshold now when it drops to 20 below the 20% threshold um you're basically not eligible for the concessions anymore other than and- your 50% But other than your 50% that's right spot on so other than the 50% so so that's that's a good example of how if you are aware as a client of the concessions you might rearrange your affairs or do things in a different way so we went back to the client and said look this is the issue you have you can sell yes these are the advantages but from a tax perspective the biggest advantage is if you hold on to your shares and if you sell the whole lot or you sell a very big proportion of it you can potentially qualify for the small business cgt concessions and the benefit of that might be actually quite substantial he did decide eventually that he was going to continue holding on to the shares and basically uh, there were other reasons as well because um you know as part of uh, being a key individual in the business um this particular client needed to actually stay on in the business and not sell down any further um so that that's 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 an example of how um, you know a bit of careful planning uh, on the part of the advisor along with the client uh, can actually go a long way in in maybe saying to the client that um, hang on have you have you thought about this such a good example um yeah. that you know where, where you can go from holding 21% and then not even realizing oh just sell 3% but suddenly now you're below the 20% and when you go to sell the rest you don't get access to the same concessions as if you just had have sold it all in one go or held on to it and sold it later and and it's a really good point to be aware of to be very careful about when you're selling down shares the way in which you do it 
the the parcel size in which you do it. Actually, another point in that example that you made was um, they realised that there was an importance of them holding on to equity because they were so integral to the business. And quite often, buyers, um, you, you know, will want to see some connection there between people who are integral to the ongoing running of the business as well. But that's a whole different topic. But I I just thought it was interesting that you pointed that one out because that certainly um, can be a fundamental aspect of what a buyer is looking for when they're coming in to um, to, to buy a company. Well, great. Okay. So warning, be careful about the parcel sizes when you sell down and and getting too small in your parcel size lest you um, lest you then cut yourself out of being able to utilise some of these concessions. And one of the things that, you know, we're talking about warnings here in relation to tax, but one of the issues that I have seen creep up from time to time is the impact um, that has been caused by distributions from family trusts, so trusts who have, who have um, been the shareholder um, or within a company, yep. um, the the funds within that uh, you know that come from the dividends, the funds from that family trust have been distributed to certain members of the family, and the way in which those distributions have happened has had an impact on tax. Could you maybe talk us through what some of those risks are? Because I think many business owners just don't even realise that the way in which the distributions are dealt with from the trust to, you know, the the class of beneficiaries might have an impact at the end of the day on their sales. So maybe just walk us through some of those issues, Nigel. Yeah, Joanna. Look, it's uh, it's a this is where it gets a little bit complicated because um, what tends to happen is um, we, when a trust owns shares in a company and these shares are being sold in that company, uh, the twenty percent uh, test that I just spoke to you about in the previous example doesn't actually apply. So there is a, a test called a 90% test that applies. And what that test requires is to actually track the distributions that occurred. And you've got to basically do an exercise where you go back to the last up to the last four financial years and you've got to work out who's received the distributions and if any of those people. Um, that have received the distributions, um, when you aggregate all of their distribution entitlements, whether they're in a position to meet the the, the 90% test. And so sometimes it can be really tricky because um, what tends to happen is, you know, the distributions, you know, sometimes the year before, they haven't really planned on selling the business. So they might distribute to a particular spouse or, or you know one of their adult kids or something like that um and and they don't actually understand the implication of that and that that could actually impact the ability of in some situations of a client to access the, the to pass this particular test um so you know what we recommend is is basically to sit down you know with your with, with an accountant and and work through what have been the distributions um for the last four years. So this this is what the test requires. Work through what the distributions have been for the last four years, um, and and then uh, you know work out who are the the, the individuals uh, within uh, within that particular test that would qualify for the concession. So sometimes it's possible 
that two individuals might qualify for the concessions. If the distribution, you know, the pattern of distributions have been in a certain way, it is possible that, you know, two separate individuals might qualify for the concessions. Now, why is that important, Joanna? The reason is because if two individuals qualify for the concessions, then potentially two individuals can contribute um, can make a contribution into their super fund because one of the concessions is the retirement exemption, and that exemption actually allows um, uh, uh, individuals to contribute up to five hundred thousand um, dollars into their super fund, and the contribution will then basically come off your capital gain. Um, so it, it, let's just say you have a capital gain of five hundred thousand um, dollars, which is remaining. Um, and, and you need to deal with, you have a choice, right? You need to either pay, you have two choices. You pay tax on the capital gain or you contribute the money into super. Uh, you could just contribute the money into super and that's the end of it. You might, you will not have a tax liability. So that's one option. Um, but if you have two individuals that potentially qualify to make the contribution, then you could say, okay, um, I'd like to make, a one million dollar contribution. Now, in that example, I, 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 you know, I used the example of a five hundred thousand dollar capital gain, but in other examples, the gain might actually be a lot larger than that. So, I guess you, it, it, these are the sort of things that come up in the analysis, and this is why it can get a little bit more complicated than people appreciate initially. Well, absolutely. It does sound extraordinarily complicated. I can only but agree with you, Nigel. I can only but agree. But i tell you what this does demonstrate. Um, it does demonstrate, number one, notwithstanding, you might have a bit of an idea of what those sort of general concessions are and that eligibility, the $2 million turnover, the $6 million net asset value, it, it's a, a great stark reminder that there's a lot of com complexity that sits underneath. The other thing that it demonstrates to me is that you really need to be planning this stuff well in advance. So if you're saying, you know, you need to look back at the last, the distributions that have been made over the last four years, well, I tell you what, if you think you're five years coming up to exit, Sit down right now and absolutely involve your accountant so so they're careful about the decisions that they're making along the way every year in relation to your tax. So I guess there's there's sort of those two perspectives, aren't there? That's right, and it's 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 also a matter of so one of the you know you mentioned sitting down with the accountant. One of the things that um, we sometimes can find, Joanna, is that there's not enough paperwork going back. You know, if if we if we use the example of the last four years, sometimes like if you know if a client has, for example, come from another accountant, the other accountant might not have prepared a set of financials because there wasn't much activity in that particular trust or in that company. Um, so in these situations, it can be quite tricky to actually piece together what happened two, three, four years ago. Um, and it, with some of the tests, um, you know, that there is, a, which we didn't speak about earlier, but there is this other test called an active asset test. Oh, my goodness, another <laughs> test. Oh, my goodness gracious. This yeah, is getting they, ridiculous. Oh, my right, goodness. So, Who thinks of all this stuff? Really? I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, it, look, it is a, it, it's a bit of a tricky process, and, and it's something the ATO have said to, 
look, if, if, if we're going to make it really generous where you can reduce your capital gain to zero, but at the same time, we want to see all the paperwork and we want to, you know, we want to make sure that you, you, you satisfy all these requirements. Otherwise, um, you know, you're, you're basically going to have to pay the capital gains tax. So the bar is set fairly high, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but that what that also means is that, you know, it, it's something that, um, you know, like I was talking with the active asset uh, test, um, you do need to have paperwork that goes back at least um, half of the period that you've owned the asset. So, for example, just to give an example, if you've, um, if you've owned uh, shares in a company, let's just take shares, the last 10 years. What that test requires is that uh, you need to actually look at the balance sheets of that company, work out if the assets were active, the assets being your shares, for at least half of the ownership period. So in, in my example, that would be five years because, you know, in the last 10 years, so it's going to be five years. But, you know, you know, some clients, they might not have the paperwork going back to the early years. Now, if it's, uh, you know, the, the ATO do have a concession with that. So, if, for example, if you've owned the shares for a period of 15 years and that uh, period has been, you know, need not be continuous, um, you've owned the shares for 15 years in total, like the ATO will accept uh, seven and a half years. Um, so you don't need to keep going back beyond that. But that, that gives right. you an example of how it can be really important to do a bit of planning for these concessions because let's say you discover that you don't have financials going back or you've got financials for only five years but you need seven years worth of financials then you got to think about what are you going to do right do you is it worth actually going back reconstructing the financials like you mm -hmm. know sometimes the financial have been destroyed or uh, the previous accountant has retired um, so it can be uh, quite challenging in those situations. And, and that's why I say that you do need to have a bit of planning because when, when you apply the concessions, you've got to you know, submit the paperwork. It's all got to be done in accordance with a time frame. And you don't really have sometimes the luxury of time when a sale has already happened. The clock is basically ticking. Um, so that, that kind of underscores the importance of actually having uh, that discussion with the accountant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. Such important things that we're talking about here and and uh, you know, I, I think it's it's absolutely apparent from these examples that we're talking about that it is stuff that you need to plan in advance. You need to be aware of well in advance. You need to ensure that you're keeping the right things, that the right decisions are being made about distributions, about the purchase of assets, about company ownership, you, you know, to the extent that that might impact your ability to your ownership of a small part of a company you, you know, might then impact the entities that are pulled in for the purposes of calculation of some of these figures. So, you know, every decision needs to be thought through carefully with that end point of exit in mind and tax at exit on my, in mind. Um, so, yep. so we've run through some of that stuff. I, I know you had some other great examples. Maybe um, tell us some other stories, Nigel. I love stories. Tell us some more stories of um, where where things have gone wrong. All right. By the way, yep. Look, it's uh, in terms of um, recent examples, like with the six million dollar net asset test. Um, that's actually an important one because, um, you know, generally speaking, if there's some situations where you might be uh, below uh, the six million dollar 
net asset debt by, by quite a bit, let's say a million dollars or $2 million. In that situation, you, you probably, uh, you've got some room there, uh, but it's situations where you're just a little bit above where the question arises, what's in the $6 million net asset test? Um, so look, in terms of like examples, like we had a client that, that came to us um, and their assets were, we added up the assets. And, and when we're talking about the $6 million net asset test, I might just add a little bit of background just you know to understand um, what goes in there is basically, um, you know, for example, cash in the bank, uh, any assets that are investment properties or interest in shares and and and, and those kinds of assets. Um, what doesn't go into the test is their superannuation, life insurance policies, personal use assets, for example, you know, cars and stuff like that. Um, and and the other thing to be aware of is the word net. The word net means assets less liabilities. So you got to you got to think of it this way. Um, what are the liabilities? Okay. Do they have, for example, if it's an investment property, do they have a mortgage? So um, when you add it all up, obviously, if it's less than six million, you qualify. So we had this client that um, came to us and they, they, they were, they were, you know, they were questioning whether they're eligible or not. Um, and it, it looked like initially, they were above the $6 million net asset test. So we, we added up the assets and the liabilities and everything. And we realized, hang on, they are, they're probably going to be above the $6 million net asset test. Mm. Um, but when we looked at some of the liabilities, we realized that there, you know, that there were additional liabilities that they didn't actually tell us about. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, what that's like? right. What, what were the um, liabilities? Yeah, look, uh, they were basically loans that they right. put into the business, um, uh-huh. and and um, some of the loans were not recorded, uh, you know, appropriately, and and they had bank statements to prove that you know the money was spent on the business assets, right? Um, and so basically, that made quite a big difference uh, to uh-huh. their situation, and and it ended up they were under the six million by wow. quite a bit. By wow. quite a bit because they'd been they'd been using quite a bit of their personal finances to fund the business because this was uh, you know it initially was a startup okay yeah. um, and so they they kind of like you know they, they ended up in a position where the, the the net asset position was quite a bit under six million dollars but they but they thought look up I don't think I'll qualify but this is this is the other thing to be aware of you you, you don't make assumptions yeah. whenever you're working through the test. You generally start from position, your position is zero, right? You start from zero. And then you you sort of work through the rules very systematically, work out what qualifies, what's in, what's out, add it all up. And then you you work out if, you know, we usually go to the client and say, is this, is this all or is there anything else? You know, things is there like, something we, you may have forgotten exactly, in there? And, <laughs> and remember, when we talk about net assets, we're talking also about market values. So market valuation can be a bit of a tricky area, right? Mm. Because, um, you know, you, you've got to think about goodwill. And sometimes different you might get different valuations from different values. Mm. And that might actually push the valuation either above or below the six billion. Mm. So, like, these are... These are a number of different things that you would actually need to think about um, when you're in the process of doing that test. And it's not like, you know, 
any any one answer is right or wrong but where there's significant where there's a lot of doubt involved rather than make the decision what we might do sometimes is go to the client and say look do you want to apply for a private ruling mm. because the ATO can actually uh, look at the, the the position and and give an answer based on um you know what they think is the answer and that actually offers a lot of peace of mind to the taxpayer then knowing that hey look nobody can challenge this 6 million dollar this valuation yeah. because it's come from the ATO and you know we 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 are comfortable therefore um with the position so yeah. you look it is a yeah it's it's a bit of a <laughs> what a great yeah. example i love exactly. it and so do you remember how much tax we're talking about at the end of the day that they ended up saving yeah look it's it, it I, i can't quite remember the numbers but in 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 the in the earlier example like that they were about 1 and a half million was the capital gain because this this individual like um invested at a very they, they basically set up the company mm. they basically set up the company. they'd been in uh, very early mm. um so you know they didn't pay anything for the share so basically the capital gain was pretty much the market value less whatever was the cost base of what you know they they contributed so um and that that gain um, was subsequently reduced by a number of these concessions i mean it, 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 they were under 55 i will mention that so there was a consideration of whether they wanted to pay the tax or contribute the money into super but um you know they they decided to contribute the money into super which uh, eventually further reduced their tax bill there was some tax in the end because right. on a 1 and a half million dollar capital gain uh there there might be a little bit of tax because if it's one individual you might just get 500,000 as your contribution limit and there might be something residual so uh, from that perspective they they did pay a little bit of tax but comparatively it was um, you know it was a really good outcome to yep. be eligible brilliant okay well look thank you so much nigel you've walked us through some great examples here it's yeah. um just fascinating seeing you know some of these the complexity i guess the complexity yeah. um and the importance of yeah. uh, being on top of all of this uh, and and i guess before we finish are there any parting words that you want to leave our listeners with yeah look it's um it's a it's a quite a generous set of concessions but at the same time um it's something that you need to actually speak to an advisor about um and we do understand that clients are very busy uh, you know adding value to their businesses or on a day-to-day basis and can be uh, really difficult to actually understand some of these concepts but the idea is that you you do not need to be the expert and understand everything you need to just engage with uh, an advisor yeah. that knows like, understands how the concessions work can work with the client and and you know if there's you know if there's a need to work with the ATO can actually work with the ATO yeah. um and um work out the best outcome for yeah. for, for the client so uh, yeah. so that's that's kind of my you know the advisor's take on it to just be aware that you know you've spent your whole working career trying to build up your business yeah. uh, you know why not take advantage these concessions are are for small business owners and it we we're in a difficult economy obviously the last couple of years so um you know it's something that you really need to take advantage of and it's not just yeah. in the context of a sale journey it's also um it's also if you're if you're doing a restructure for example you might want to sell your shares to your family trust 
you might want to do a restructure to, for asset protection. The concessions apply in that situation as well. It doesn't have to be an external sale, but these are just some of the things you, you might want to consider. Yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay. Well, look, if our listeners want to make contact with you, Nigel, um, and talk about tax, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, look, it's uh, I'm always happy to talk about tax. Uh, you can reach me on uh, nigel at adx.com.au. Uh, so that's our email address, um, ADX Accountants. Um, you know, happy to have a chat uh, and, uh, yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for coming along to the Deal Room podcast. We'll put those details in the show notes. Um, and thanks for coming along. Thanks, Joanna. Pleasure. Well, that's it. Just a recap in this episode. Of course, we're talking all about the warning stories about getting tax wrong at exit. And of course, this is a topic that I think is extremely important. At the end of the day, when you're sitting there at the point of exit, working out how much of the sale price is going to stay in your pocket, you might believe it's a very important topic as well. If you'd like more information about this topic, then just head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this episode in more detail. There, of course, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact Nigel D'Souza at ADX Accountants if you'd like any assistance with preparing for tax matters for the future or for a transaction that you're involved in right now. Of course, on our website, you'll also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a number of great services right through from advising in advance on all of the preparation steps if you're looking to exit or to acquire, and of course, with helping you along with the deal along the way. And we work with clients both big and small, so don't hesitate to book an appointment if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Deal Room.